Welcome to another episode of No Challenges Remaining. I'm Ben Rothenberg, joined, as always, by my dear friend, Courtney Nguyen. Hi, Courtney. Hello, Benjamin. Where in the world are you these days, Courtney? <laughs> uh, well, this morning I was in Tokyo. Uh-huh. Currently, at 12.15 a.m. on Wednesday morning, I am now in Singapore. Welcome so, back to Singapore. Yeah, no, it's good It's good to be back to Singapore. It's always. It's funny, though, you know, because you, I spent two weeks in China. And China is China in Wuhan and Beijing. Just, you know, busy, honky, loud, crowded, lots of people. It's kind of a, a, a constant smell of something in the air. Um, and, uh, and then you go from there to Tokyo, which is just like even just, I mean, getting on the train to go to my sister's place like in Tokyo, like it was so clean and quiet and whatever. And then, uh, and then now in Singapore, which is probably the only city in the world. That one could say is more is better organ like better is like cleaner, I guess than Tokyo. I was about to say better organized, but that's not true. Um, Tokyo probably still takes the cake there, but uh, but yeah, no, it, it's good to be back in the Lion City. There you go. I was trying to remember what the nickname was. It's also like the Isthmus City or something, right? Or There's something about orchids, right? Yeah. Aren't orchids a big deal here? I know they made a Black Mirza orchid last year. <sighs> I love that. Love it. That was like the best possible team name combination. With all due respect to the Rodinova Kudryatsova orchid that wilted on the vine, um, <laughs> I, I think that was a pretty good, solid orchid name, right? Black yeah, Mirza. Black Mirza. It's pretty good. It's pretty it's great. Pretty good. It's pretty good. How did, how are things shaping up for the tournament so far? Does it look like things are heating up already, or still a ways out? Um, well, it feels like things are heating up. I mean, I only say that because I had kind of the week off-ish last week when when I was in Tokyo visiting my sister, and it was. Only the last couple of days, every time the WTA Twitter account tweets like five days until the finals, four days until the finals, I'm like, holy crap, the finals are coming up. <laughs> so um, at least on my end, it's a little bit it's a little bit different from kind of the reporter writing end because I just get into the same tournament rhythm um, that I get into at any tournament. But uh, yeah, no, I mean, things are definitely moving the entire I mean, a big uh, contingent of. WTA folk on planes already here getting ready for things. We have the the Rising Stars uh, section of the tournament starting fairly soon. I think there's a big event about it tomorrow. So, um, yeah, so I'm looking forward to it. Um, it's always nice to, especially because I'm on the road a lot, um, it's always nice to go to a hotel and, like, know that you're there for two weeks. That is nice. Like, it's a completely different mindset. You know what I mean? Like, you know what I mean. Like, when you're covering slams and you can, like, unpack. Well, you never unpack. But, like... You can kind of settle in. I have packed some in New York when there were like drawers available. Yeah. Did you? I did. You were so proud. Up before my eyes, Ben. It's amazing. It really is. Yeah. It really is. Yeah. So we're going to talk a little bit about WTA happenings leading up to the race uh, in in the race to Singapore, but not much because we're going to probably, hopefully, maybe do some sort of show before it gets too far underway. Once the field is set, maybe. Yeah. Oh, absolutely. Yeah. Um, so we'll do that, but then it's still up in the air, so we don't want to record this and have things change uh, in the meantime but we'll talk a little bit more about uh, ATP happenings uh, on court and off and then we'll also have a guest in this episode which is very exciting uh, Yoshi Fensel who is the coach of Lucy Radechka uh, it's our first coach guest which is pretty fun it seems like overdue when I was looking like oh who could have a guest we never had a coach before 
and Yuri also has yeah, he's and he's great. great, and he's uh, he's on Twitter. If you don't follow him, you should. He's at uh, at Max AV, mm-hmm. I think, um, yeah. and he's constantly just great, like behind the scenes information, and uh, just a pretty reasonable, level headed guy. Very nice, and uh, has a, a few little. You know, he coaches Radechka. He also uh, uh, created or operates. yeah, create create created the Resultina app. Yeah, he created the Resultina app. Tennis. Yeah. If you're a tennis addict. It's- one of the best apps out yeah. there for, for that lifestyle, which we certainly support. Yep. Um, but I guess we should probably start with Novak Djokovic winning a Masters event last week. Uh, it was his fifth Masters event of the year, Masters title of the year. He won Shanghai. This felt like a total non-event. I mean, just it feels like talk about like tennis using tennis terminology, holding serve. Novak Djokovic winning a hardcore Masters event is just kind of what should happen at this point. He did it in such unblinking fashion that I think it I think it adds to the collage of his dominance well. It's another, you know, notch in what's been an amazing year for him, but was any of the actual week compelling? I'm not I don't think so. I mean Is that unfair? No, that's not unfair. That's not unfair. I mean, I only watched snippets of it. Um I probably saw, you know, a handful of matches, four or five matches from the week in, in Shanghai. Yeah, I mean this I guess goes back a little bit to our repeated conversations on this podcast about, you know, the nature of dominance and, and this idea that that is kind of a one that I feel like most people sign on to, at least at least tennis writers sign on to it. I, I think I'm I, I feel pretty safe to say that um, that dominance is good, that dominance makes things compelling, that people tune in when you have a dominant figure in the game. Um, and I mean, Novak is just doing an incredible thing right now in the midst of, of a year that, you know, you can really put up there, uh, with his 2011, 11, yeah, yeah 2011, yep, 11. um, might be getting better. Yeah. I actually think it's better. I, I do think it's better. Cause I do think on the whole, there's a little bit more parody among the ATP now than it was back in 11. Yeah. I mean, he's just having a phenomenal season. Um, but you know, I, I didn't tune into the final. Uh, that oh, it was against Songa. That's the thing. Like none of the matches, just looking at them beforehand, felt like, oh, I got to see if Djokovic, you know, survives this test. Even when he played Murray, I was like, yeah, Djokovic is going to beat Murray. Yeah, I mean, he's so, gonna, so even good. Even though he lost in Canada, he's just so much better than everybody right now. Yeah, he's just so and much once, better. Once Federer was out, Federer is the guy who invested three matches twice this year, I guess, uh, in Cincinnati and Dubai has managed to beat Novak and was uh, the defending the- champion in Shanghai. And right, and so once Novak, once Federer went out early, I think it took a lot of air out of the event. I mean, it's nice to see it's, it's it moves the ball forward a little bit for like Rafa to make a semi of this tournament, uh, and that makes him back in the conversation more. I mean, not that he's a you know, slam contender suddenly, but at least he's safely back, well inside the top ten. That's no longer you know uh, teetering. Um, but yeah, otherwise it just didn't feel super compelling, and that's. Again, dominance issue. This is especially when you get into sort of a more dog days part of the season, like Shanghai, when everybody's. It's not a term people really circle on the calendar. It might. I'm guessing. I was thinking like stateside. I'm guessing it's the least watched Masters event, probably because the time more than Bercy. Time of year. Yeah. Well, time time difference is much better for Bercy. I guess I and, never would watch Bercy. <laughs> no, that's true. But and I, if there's yeah. like if there's race to London stuff happening in Bercy, no, that's true. Bercy is definitely in there. Also, those two events. But that's what I'm saying. Bercy, I'm not going to be like, oh, it's Bercy. So that's right. a huge deal. Um, 
But this, like, I was thinking, like, the Djokovic-Murray match. Like, this might have been one of the lowest-hyped big four clashes in a long, long time. Well, you know what? I, I don't I don't know about that. I mean, I would disagree with it because in on paper, there were some great matches in Shanghai that completely fizzled out. So you had Stan versus Rafa. That was the big one that fizzled. That was, that the big was such a bummer that that fizzled. Yeah. Um, yeah. Novak versus Andy after Andy had spent a good, what was it, an hour reminding Thomas Burdick who, who, who's the daddy. Describe that if you would, please. I didn't get to see that match. It was awkward. I don't know. Like I, <laughs> because it's just. I mean, Andy just takes such pleasure in reminding Thomas Burdick of his position amongst, like you know, the elite. And I feel like Andy just goes out of his way to kind of. It all started really, I think, at that comment before they played at the Australian Open. When everybody was making a big deal about, oh, Burdick has uh, has uh, 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 Danny Valverdu in his box now. Danny and Andy kind of left things awkwardly because Danny was mad about Amelie getting hired. Um, you know, all these sorts of things. And, like, so everybody's asking Andy, oh, is this going to make it, like, super – are you really worried? Because, you know, Danny's going to tell Thomas all your secrets and he's, he's going to know how to beat you. And Andy's like, well, you have to remember, I also know what Danny thinks of Thomas's game, <laughs> which I right. thought was like such a great, like very understated level of shade. And I feel like ever since then, he's gone out of his way to like show Thomas what Danny Valverde thinks of Thomas's game. Like it was just embarrassing just how easily Murray picked Burdick apart um, in that quarterfinal. So Murray looked like he was playing really well and he had had a really nice long break after the U.S. Open. And then he steps on court with Novak. And Novak just – and there was a little bit of – I saw quite a few people, um, you know, uh, saying, you know, and I think that Andy Andy might have a shot here to make this a, a nice competitive one. Nope. Not even close. Novak is just on a completely different planetary – he's just operating, like, in the future. You know? Like, yeah. it, it's he's just so, – he's, he's so far ahead of the peloton right now. Oh, so far. That's a great description, yeah. And he's gaining separation. It's getting further and further apart. Like, he's setting all these ridiculous ranking. uh, I don't know if people... It's hard to keep... I wish they're... I don't wish, but I'm... It's tough to compare rankings because the point distribution system changed a few years ago on the ATP, and so everything's not totally apples to apples. But Novak Djokovic right now has 16,785 ranking points. 16,000! Like, it's... There are a lot of times when nobody's in five digits and he's like closer to 20,000 than he is to 10,000 at this point. And I saw that's, some, that's absurd. Yeah. I saw some tweet and I apologize cause I never remember who tweeted them, but this was kind of incredible that apparently according to this person who tweeted this, that Novak has over the last 12 months, 52 weeks has never dropped a point. Like what? he's, he's maintained like his, Oh, okay. You know what I'm he saying? Never, like he never, never failed to defend anything. Exactly. He's like maintained his like point level. I guess that's right, yeah, because he defended a lot of titles. He well, added and, Australia. And he added he, Australia, so he has he, a buffer. Yeah, I think he did. He lost in the Dubai final again, like he did last year. He won in New Wells. He won, yeah, won Miami, won Monte Carlo. That's impressive. Yeah. That's pretty good. That's, pretty, that's a pretty amazing stack. Yeah. To be number one and keep climbing. Because I know we did, like, uh, just I was looking at the racket rally stats for like, the fantasy game. We started at the beginning of the year. And Novak, even though he was the most expensive player at the beginning of the year, has already, like, 
double return on investment for people. It's amazing. Like it was already, even without the points of Bercy, it might have even been before Shanghai points actually went on. I looked at this. I think it was before Shanghai um, and before the World Tour Finals, which is another 1,500 points. He was already, yeah, people were ahead with him, which is pretty remarkable. Serena, they're ahead by a little bit already, too, because she had a much better year than last year, but not like Novak. So, anyway, here's your racket rally update for the first time <laughs> on the show. Other other ATP thoughts? Is there anything you're looking forward to in the in the rest of the ATP season? I mean, I gotta say, like the complete opposite. Unless somebody, if if somebody pulls out of London, there will be a race for the last spot. But right now, there is no race. It yeah. is like all but decided, which kind of is the complete opposite of uh, the WTA situation, as there are still three spots left midway through Moscow as we record this. I would like there to be some more race tension. If there is not race, not race tension, you know what I mean? But like (laughs) (laughs) uh, London intrigue, let's call it racial tension. Race wars. I don't need to encourage that on the what Ben was asking for. No, not really. (laughs) Don't don't say that. Um, So, so yeah. So uh, I I don't think there's much intrigue there. There is, if you want to segue to another ATP topic, there are ATP award ballots. Courtney, I don't think you're voting anymore for these, are you? No. I, I, I mean, I could because obviously for half the year I was an ATP writer because people have been asking me this like when um, – like at tournaments, like especially obviously joint tournaments. I don't go to ATP press conferences anymore. Um, okay. And people were like, well, why not? Like you can. I was like, I just – I don't know. I just kind of feel like that's – disrespectful is not the right word, but it's like not appropriate. You know, I'm no, like, no, I totally. Agree. I mean, it's you know, people, yeah, yeah. I mean, I read the transcripts, so I know what's up, but I don't, I don't report on, like, you know, like I don't tweet ATP transcript quotes, right? Because I'm like, and, I wasn't in the press conference, and that's not my beat, and so that's somebody else's work, and I don't contribute to that. And if you ever were writing like, a story about, like, if you were ever writing a story about, you know, Amelie Moresmo again, and right, then a, I would like, go then in, you, then you could do it, but for sure, yeah, yeah, no, but it has to be. In other words, I'm not going to go in there and, like, burn people's time because of just, like, my own personal curiosity. Right. Right? Because I don't have a professional – I mean, I guess I could go in for NCR purposes, but that's yeah. not really – you know. But anyways, yeah, so I, I didn't think to even open the email that had the ATP Player Ballot Awards. So I've actually just well, opened me... it now. Let's, let's go through it then. Let's uh, start with the top award, which is the most improved player of the year. Um, and there are – nine people nominated for this award and they show the ranking disparity. So I'll read, go through these and then Courtney, you tell me who you would, uh, who you'd vote for. Okay. First people, uh, first person is Hyun Chung who went from 173 to 54 born at Chorich who went from 91 to 40. This is all the rankings so far. It's kind of a little odd. We did the voting before the season's totally over. That's a sidebar. Uh, Tanasi Kokonakis went from 150 to 76 Dennis Kudla, 121 to 65. Nick Kyrgios, this list is Nikki on the ballot for some reason, 52, 52 to 32. <laughs> uh, Lucas Puy, 133 to 68. Dominic Team, 39 to 18. Bernard Tomic, 56 to 20. And Alexander Zverev, 137 to 80. Um, it's weird seeing Tomic grouped in with these people, even though I know he is their age. He's just been around for so long. Um, True. So, Corny, any any names jump out at you for who you'd want to vote for there? Yeah, I mean, for me, it's it's not even a question. 
um, although it's obviously debatable. But just for me personally, I would probably put my vote yeah. with Kokonakis. Uh, because before this year, I don't think anybody even knew who Kokonakis really was. And now, you know, even within the first few months of, of the season, he was already a guy that you started to look for. Where is he in the draw? Because he's yeah. a dangerous player. Um, so, so yeah, I would probably go Kokonakis. I mean, not that's not necessarily based off of just like incredible rankings jump, because obviously that would go to, to yeah. Young Chung. But Chung, Chung is really on not the, on the challenger circuit at all. Yeah, it's it's hard to really say like you know like are you elite you know right like you you've got your points on the lower on this lower circuit, uh, Chorich would probably be my second choice, but at the same time I just feel like he's just kind of like continuing to. I feel like Chorich's uh, improvement is linear. Yeah. Like it, you know, it's just kind of like gradually impre- improving. Whereas Kokonakis, I think, really was was pretty exponential, especially out of the gate, uh, the first five months of the Fair. season. Um, I voted for Kokonakis. Also, we had to do pick your top four, which is just too many. Um, I picked and oh. like rank them one, two, three, four. Um, and so I voted for Kokonakis one. I think I put Kuba two, just because if you had told me Kuba would be sixty five this year. I never would have believed that. Very good point. That came out of nowhere. And so in terms of improved for me, also means like defying expectations a little bit. Kula has that completely. I think I voted Chung 3 and maybe Chorich 4. Something like that. That's interesting. I actually would have put Tomic in my top 4. Because I think that that while his rankings jump, you know, whatever, 36 points is or 36 spots isn't, uh, you know, amazing. And obviously he's made slam quarters in the past and things like that. But you can see watching him play that he has improved like just his focus, his maturity on court maturity in his decision-making competing much better this year than he has in the oh, past. I, so I, I would, I would, I would has, put, has that been a year long thing or is that really a fall development? No, it's been a year long thing. His first four months of the season, he was ridiculous. Okay. He had an incredible clip. I can't remember what it was, but I remember like writing, you know, back, uh, in my SI days, uh, the aces and faults that uh, I would write for every Monday, kind of like tracking, you know, streaks or, um, you know, just trends or whatever. And I just remember like Tomic through, I want to say Delray Beach had like a pretty impressive clip through like the the, the European indoors and then into to, to North America. But um, I don't know the number off the top of my head, but he, he was playing really well. Yeah. Okay. Um, it's still spotty, but it's it's much better than it has been, that's for sure. Yeah. You guys, by the way, throughout all this, tweet us who you would vote for for these. Hashtag NCR ballot. Has there been a WTA ballot yet? I don't think so. I haven't gotten one. No, ours is usually released after the season. Right, which kind of makes more sense. Um, yeah. Next award is Comeback Player of the Year. Uh, always a tough one to vote for. Like who, especially when there's like, because at least this one, they're all like, injuries but when you start throwing like cancer survivors in there sometimes it's just uncomfortable i think like who had the more valiant cancer comeback um <laughs> it's, it, it's not my favorite thing to vote on so the people in this category are almagro who i really don't feel like has come back i feel like he disappeared sidebar yeah. uh Bedene, who again like some of these people are like oh you were injured i didn't i didn't know I, that Bedene was injured he must have been for a while uh he went from 145 to 51 uh john millman who i knew was injured Went from 159 to 77. But then again, did John Millman come back? Did he just arrive? Because he was never there in the first place. Um, Benoit Pair 
went from 118 at a low of 149 this year to a current 25. So Benoit Pair, I, was, I think I actually you know what you know what I look back. I wrote in Benoit Pair as it's somewhere in my top four for most improved also. And uh, also in this ballot, this is getting confusing. Sorry, uh, comeback player Jack Sock, 42 to 33, and Songa from 24 to 15. Um, so I guess it, might, it actually might be higher than 15 after Shanghai. This is, I think, a pretty Shanghai ranking. Anybody jump out at you at comeback? Um, I'm gonna go sock and pair. Okay. Um, because Jack Sock, obviously, I mean, yeah, okay. Uh, he finished 2014 at 42, and he's only up to 33 now. But that's without the Australian Open. Yeah. Like he didn't play because of the hip surgery. So, and it seemed like that was that was pretty rough. Like that seemed like a fairly, you know, serious thing. But when he came back, I mean, he put his body into. Uh, his spring was yeah, incredible. It was just. Yeah, I, w- I was really surprised, genuinely surprised that he was able to come back as well as he did, um, as quickly as he did, Jack Sock. And then Benoit Pair, what exactly was Pair's injury? I think he had some sort of elbow, wrist, arm thing. Okay. I mean, regardless, even if it was just like he was over it yeah. and now he's like not over it. I mean, he's been incredible this year. He's I mean, been obviously so good. a lot of it's on the on the challenger circuit as well, but uh but yeah, I mean that win over Nishikori in Tokyo was epic. Yeah, he was so good. It was great. It was great. Twenty fifteen Benoit Pair is a little bit like twenty fourteen David Goffin, results wise, I think. Um, and so if 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 Pair can, oh yeah, I could see that if Pair steadies himself into which is one of the nerdier comments I've made on this show in a while. But <laughs> if Pair can sturdy himself into like a top twenty player, like the way Goffin has, or even top sixteen. The tour would be so much like more fun for it. Benoit's just a remarkably like amusing person to keep around. So I'm all for amusing. I think he got my vote for number one just because his ranking improvement was so big. And again, that wasn't like you had the most heroic comeback from the brink of anything, but it was you've actually like flown up the rankings. So it's a mixture of comeback, most improved. When there wasn't like I mean, Sock was only out for two months, so I wasn't like, wow, this That's is true. this is like harrowing that you came back from this uh, from his physical injuries. Uh, anyway, so here comes the most problematic award, I think. Yeah. Uh, the Stefan Edberg Sportsmanship Award. I'll read, I'll read the description of this. Uh, to the player who, throughout the year, conducted himself at the highest level of professionalism and integrity, who competed with his fellow players with the utmost spirit of fairness, and who promoted the game through his off-court activities, which is kind of a non-sequitur at the end. I that has like. nothing to do with sportsmanship. I completely agree. Uh, oh my God! I didn't. I never realized that that was a uh, a clause in the Stefan Edberg Sportsmanship Award because I was unaware that Stefan Edberg did a bunch of off court stuff to promote the game. I thought he was just kind of like an on court guy. Yeah. Well, I don't know. Okay. Here are your nominees for the Sportsmanship Award, and uh, notice who's not here. I guess it's more interesting parts: Kevin Anderson, Marin Cilic, Roger Federer, David Ferrer, David Goffin, Rafael Nadal. Kenny Shikori, and Tim Smichek. <laughs> I, I gotta say, honestly, when I first got this ballot, the very first thing I looked for to see was to see if Smichek got nominated for sportsmanship, and he did. After like all the people, people don't remember all the hubbub about the match against Nadal at the Australian Open second round this year, when he let Nadal have a do-over at five four in the fifth or five six five in the fifth uh, when Nadal was serving for the match. Um, yeah, and Nadal was like overwhelmed by this, and all Nadal's team was talking, and everybody that whole week was like, "Wow, this is like the greatest act of anything ever." And I wouldn't have done that. 
everyone was pretty much saying. So Smichek gets in there for that one thing. He's the only player outside the top 16 on this uh, ballot for, for this category, which makes me think, like, okay, is it really likely that, like, all of the most sportsmen, like, people happen to be the biggest, best players? Like, I kind of don't buy that. But it's also notable, as people pointed out quickly, and I pointed out, that, like, Djokovic is not on this list. Is there Andy a reason? Murray is Andy not Murray's on not on the list. Stan Wawrinka Stan is not, on, not this on this list. list. It's, it's just like, I almost feel like this award should be like pure write-in or something. Yeah. It's even going to have it. Like having nominees for this and having snubs for this award, I think is 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 dicey. And I got to say, like, I vote, I one of my write-in candidates um, that I wrote in, I wrote in Djokovic for this. I feel like Djokovic gets like such a bad rap on this for no clue. I'm trying to think, what the hell did he do this year that was bad? Okay, people will tell you this on Twitter immediately if you ever think that oh i like Djokovic sports i'm like no 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 he broke a racket and he yelled in the direction of a ball kid and he had to apologize to a ball kid and then you know roger would never do that or something i don't oh, know but then they were like if you and then people were like oh if you ever broken a racket you don't deserve this award like the racket did not... and then people were like roger federer has won this award when he he's like throwing trash all over the court like remember back in the day when he used to like chuck b- b- bottles and like the ball kids would have to run and pick them up I don't remember that, no. You don't know this? Sounds Gasquet-ish. Back in, like, the, the aughts, Roger used to, like, when he finished a bottle of water, he'd, like, literally, like, flick it over his shoulder as though, like, the biggest, like, litter <laughs> bug. It was, like, shocking when I saw it for the first time. I was like, who the hell does that? And his thing was like, oh, the ball kids like it because it gives them something to do. And I'm like, then just hand them the empty bottle of water. Like, why are you flicking it like you're at a park? It was crazy. I completely believe when Roger, like, hits the ball towards the ball, especially in Australia yes. where they're, like, really into cricket. And the ball kids actually enjoy, like, getting to try to catch yeah. the ball. I'll buy that. They do not enjoy scurrying for your they, trash, They really Roger. don't, Roger. They, they really, really <laughs> don't. He, st- he stopped doing it. But, like, he was winning when he okay. was, like, throwing trash all over the court and, like, the ball kids were, like, picking up after him. Oh, my God. Seriously, again, not racket, that I think... racket breaking? We're holding that against these players now? Not that I think, not that I think Roger is on the whole unsportsmanlike, but he gets so much credit in this category because he's, he's swept this category forever, pretty much. I think Nadal won it once, but pretty much it's been a, a Roger sweep. He gets so much credit for like being like an elegant, graceful player on court. That's where that's where he wins this category. I don't think because like he's not, not that he is like taking doing gamesmanshipy things really at all. I wouldn't say he oh. ever. I don't think I've ever accused thought Roger was doing anything gamesmanship, He's, which he gets a lot of points for. And I don't think that holds true for everybody on this uh, on this list, namely Nadal, um, and probably Ferrer is a very feisty competitor. I guess he's sportsman, like I guess what he's rough and tumble for sure. I um, like. I think it's interesting that. No, no, no. I like Ferrer as like a legit as a, as a nominee and as a legit like if you know if you want to vote for a guy and be like, hey kids, look up to this guy, like. You know, especially, you know That's what fair. I mean? Like, in That's terms fair. of, like, a guy who just, like, you know, packs his lunchbox and he goes to work and he plays by the rules and he doesn't get... I've just, I've just, with Ferrer, I've just seen, like, umpire disputes get ugly quickly. Oh, uh, well, him. yeah, but that's not this year. It's a year-by-year okay. thing, right? We're not talking about the time where he called out, who was it, Alves? Yeah, there's some fairly misogynistic rant at some point. Yeah, yeah. exactly. Uh, we're not talking about that. But, like, you know, like a... Like a Kevin Anderson, I'm totally. I'll, I'll back Kevin Anderson in a heartbeat for that. I got, Anderson got one of my votes for this. I don't remember the order I did this in, but Anderson definitely got a vote. Um, but it's just like arbitrary. Like, why is like I don't know Chillage on this? Chillage is obviously no problems. Although I think probably I'm guessing some people have an issue with someone coming off yeah. a doping ban having getting on yeah, this category. Yeah, it's kind of weird. 
but yeah, that's fair. Um, especially ahead of Djokovic. Um, but like, why is like Isner not on this list? Is Isner unsportsmanlike? Again, the snubbing on this list is just problematic. That's a great for me. question. Yeah, when has John ever done anything? John's never done anything. John's like one of the uh, one of the most like well like standing. Yeah, he's very tall and very upstanding. I totally agree <laughs> with that. Um, it'll be interesting to see if Smichek gets on the podium for this. He's just the, the biggest wild card in this whole ballot, uh, and he only has like one act. Like I guess most people, even like tour players, because he plays a lot of challengers, his schedule's pretty soft. Um, I don't think like people have seen him and like know his sportsman likeness enough to like. Judge. Have any any body of work comparable to these top sixteen guys you see all the time? Yeah, but it would mean it would mean a lot more for someone like Anderson or like Smichek even to get this over Federer. And again, with the Federer, they're promoting off court. Like Federer, and I'm not. I'm gonna I hope presumably we'll get hate for this from Federer fans, which is fine. Uh, we need to balance it out. But like Federer is also like the most like, as we've talked about many times, like the snipiest player in press and everything. Yeah. And the most like past, you know, put, putting down or, you know, sort of uh, backhanded compliments for people and whatever. And that should build into this as well. You have that off court being in play here, you know. Well, and also the, the whole con- okay, the thing that bothers me about that last clause of who promoted the game through his off court activities, you should not be penalized for like not having to do off court activities. Yeah. Right. Like. Roger like, is, didn't do anything off court. Right, because he's not asked to. Right, right. And in the same way, like, an, you know, an Anderson or a Goffin or a Ferrer, um, you know, they're probably not going to get in Chilich. They're not going to get the same number of requests as a Federer or a Nadal or a Nishikori. Yeah. Even Nishikori. Like, that's a different, you know, level compared to Rafa and, and Federer. Uh, obviously a notch lower. But, like, it shouldn't – that just should not be – a th- like, oh, well, I was going to vote for Kevin Anderson because he's such a sportsman on the court. But, you know – he doesn't really do much to promote the game. It's like he'll he will do whatever you ask him to do. And that's enough. No. If you don't ask him to do anything, then that's on you. That's not on him. I don't know. That's just that's that really bothers me that this is like an aspect of this freaking award. <laughs> that's totally fair. So you guys write into us who you'd vote for on the ballot or off, who you would nominate, the reasons why you think people should or should not have gotten snubbed. Um, and when I said the thing about Djokovic being on there, I got like 20 replies. People thought they were all so original, being like, oh, I bet you think Kyrio should be on there too, huh? Like, no, I'm not saying that. But uh, it's, it's, a, it's, a, it's, it's a messy list, all of it. People and are really uh, going to equate? No, uh, I cannot. Whatever. I cannot. I cannot. Like, the Novak Kate really is – they don't show uh, their work, and it's unimpressive. They don't show their work. I don't get it. Like, I understand it like seven years ago. When you could actually, you know, but like, oh, like the evidence is, just, uh, I can't. Whatever. You don't have to be, it doesn't have to be your the favorite player. Done it, yeah. It's just, a, it's a lot, of, it's a lot of resentment for beating their favorites. That's all, it, that's all it can be at this point. When you have 16,000 ranking points. You beat everybody, jealous. everybody hates you. Yeah, pretty much. Yeah, it's kind of true. Much. Um, and I will, I will point out that like, I just occurred to me because I was like, yeah, I wonder, like, why is the ATP sending this out now? Because they announced their awards at their finals, right? Yeah, which the things, w yeah. which the WTA doesn't do. They're gonna have to like fly theoretically, like fly Tim Smichek over to London. Well, it's like last year Chorich. they had to fly Chorich in. Yeah. And didn't Thomas Tobias Kamki win a comeback award either last year or the year before? And it was like I all of a sudden that. I like I looked up and Tobias Kamki <laughs> was on the court and I was like, what's going on right now? <laughs> 
That would be pretty random. Yeah, I remember charge flying in. That's right. They did like press with them and stuff. Yeah, and I guess mostly, most. I guess maybe that's why, if to the extent they think about it, why they kind of want to load the ballot with top players, so they don't have yeah. to. Are there other people who stand out to you as sportsmen like, like below between sixteen and wherever Smichuk is ranked at like a hundred now? He is not even top hundred now. He's one on one. Okay. Anybody like, the, oh, like being a pillar of sportsmanship is just a weird thing. It should be the kind of thing you don't notice. I feel like you notice unsportsman like more than sportsman like. Exactly. What and about so, like, a, like a Gilles Simon? Yeah. Am I am I wrong on that? He seems like a pretty sportsmanly player. Or like a Feliciano Lopez or something. Yeah, exactly. A he'd Lopez. Be a good, he'd be a good. He'd be a good nominee. He'd be a very good nominee. You know, because basically all you're doing when you're trying to figure out nominees is like check off the box of like, does this player take like game gamesmanshipy MTOs? Also, bring it on, Rafa. Rafa fans. Rafa breaks the rules all the time. You can't be sportsman like if you're breaking the rules all the time. You, and you cannot be requesting to not have a chair empire and get this award. Agreed. Sorry. You just that's no. a deal breaker. He had, he had, especially for Rafa, he had like a you know a more problematic year in this category than usual. I think. Agreed. Um, but like yeah, there's plenty of people who I'm just going through rankings who would be totally plausible winners. Even someone like a Gilles Muller or a Vashik Pospisil or a. Verdasco in his own way. Uh, Steve Johnson, you know, Donald Young. Steve Johnson, great call. Yeah, Steve Johnson would be good. Um, Kyung Chung, I have no issue with. Sam Groff, you know, there's people like, yeah. there's lots of like totally plausible nominees for this that just don't get anything because, again, I, I kind of think this award shouldn't exist. I get why, like, I get why it exists and why it's a nice thing for them to want people to shoot for, but at least the nominees list is problematic i say move to all right and i say well then you wouldn't get any votes for speed check in fairness. this is true um okay so that's enough on that let's move to our guest yuri yuri fencil coach of lucy rudechka and create creator of resultina the app talking about all sorts of fun coach related check tennis related stuff get a peek into the life of what it's like traveling the world of the wta as a coach here he is. Very excited to be joined by Yershi Fensel, who is the coach of Lucy Rodeshka and is our first coach on the show. We've wanted to have a coach as a guest on NCR for a while. Very happy to have Yershi be the guy. How are you doing? Oh, good. Hi, Ben. Hi, Ben. Um, honored to be first coach on NCR. You know, <laughs> for a long time. <laughs> no, I'm, I'm pretty fine. I just I just finished a drive from Linz to back to Prague, so, so um, I'm okay. I'm okay. It's not a long drive, so... It's fun. <laughs> it's nice. It's nice on the rare chances when you have on tour to not have to fly. Yeah, I mean, I mean, the, the, the lens for us, for all the Czech players, that's the dream tournament, you know, because it's like 250 kilometers, you know, pretty short ride. Right. Uh, uh, you always feel like home over there because it's, you know, very close, the same culture, everything. You, and you don't have to fly. That's, 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 that's the goal. And it's, it's a beautiful tournament. It's very nice. So uh, I think if you would ask ever, any Czech player, you know, they all like it. So... So it's it's good. So yeah. you, is this your last? Was this your last tournament of the year? Uh, actually, actually, uh, it wouldn't be. Usually, it follow it's followed by Luxembourg, which is right. which is a little longer drive, but still, still, uh, um, you know, still drivable. It's it's a uh, that that's fine. But as it turns out, uh, uh, I'm going to be flying to Singapore 
in few days. So, so because girls are alternates for the for the doubles, you know, doubles uh, competition over there. Right. And uh, this this year, I think, you know, there were there were some changes. Uh, I think last year it's eight teams, and this year, uh, because it's a round robin. Uh, so there are group matches actually, like men have on mm-hmm. a you know World Two Finals. Uh, you know, there's a possibility that somebody might get injured or or you know uh, pull out. So so there has to be an alternate team on uh, place. Yeah. So so we're flying. We have to can we had to cancel Luxembourg because you know competition starts on Sunday already, and uh, so we'll be probably flying on tuesday or wednesday so so i thought i thought coming back from beijing that was my last long flight yeah i was wrong yeah <laughs> well congratulations on qualifying and having a long flight that's a good problem to have even if it's just an alternate still okay a good yeah, accomplishment yeah. for sure yeah, yeah, uh, yeah i guess what thank you how how do you balance with with lucy because she is one of the players i think one of the players who probably has one of the best combined singles and doubles rankings so you have to schedule looking into both and she had a great year in singles this year um how as as a coach how much a part of uh how tough is it scheduling with her and i guess also her having a regular partner and andrea yeah, lavashkova yeah, yeah. that you guys have to work together probably their schedules and things like that yes, so yes. i guess just explain to our listeners all the things that go into making her schedule and maybe if you've thought about anything already for 2016 scheduling too yeah i mean i mean uh, to play both to play both singles and doubles, uh, it's 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 complicated, and it's more complicated if you have a like a regular doubles partner and you have goals as a team. So I mean, let's say for this year, girls had the goal to to get to Singapore, and obviously with with singles, it's 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 hard to hard to combine, you know. And uh, some players play very good singles, and they also play good doubles, but they don't you know they don't take it that seriously. So yeah. so they just play. S- doubles when it's you know when it's worth it and it when when it when it uh, fits to the schedule but uh, you know when you kind of take it seriously and you you you're going after you know race uh, to singapore uh, you have to make some sacrifices and you know some some scheduling and some wild traveling sometimes you know <laughs> yeah. uh yeah it's 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 not easy it's not really it's not easy i mean it's uh uh, and you know Lucy playing with Andrea. Andrea uh, plays singles as well. So, right. so sometimes it's 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 complicated. Yeah, it's complicated. Uh, but you know, it's it's manageable. Some, but as I said, sometimes it's it's uh, it's a lot of traveling, and there are some you know last minute arrivals to play. Let's say maybe singles qualies, you know, or even main draw if you if you if you play you know finals on the tournament. On a previous tournament, so so it's not easy. It's not easy, but I think you know. I think uh, unless you really want to focus on singles and save every bit of energy, it's 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 good. It's it's fun, you know. Doubles, doubles. It's uh, it's a good practice as well. So so yeah, yeah. It's 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 complicated. It's, yeah. it's complicated, but uh, you know, it's worth it. Is, is is one more of a priority right now in Lucy's career than the other? I mean, she's ranked uh, 18 in doubles right now and 55 in singles, so good in both. Um, I don't I don't know if there's more money in singles even still, or or points or prestige, or she's had obviously a silver medal in, in doubles and Grand Slam titles there too. So I don't know if that's more important to her. Is one more important than the other overall for her? Yeah, I mean, I think I think there, you know. Uh, 
it's a it's a situ it's a funny situation because let's let's say in Czech Republic because girls made a med Olympic medal which was a big deal in uh, in you know in small country like this we don't we don't make many medals on the summer Olympics so yeah. every medal you know every 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 athlete that you know brings home a medal is it's a you know becomes a bit of celebrity but but uh, so so actually people uh, perceive both girls as double specialists and that's that's one word they hate you know to hear mm. because you know they're like we're, you know i i don't know who but you know we i had heard a very good answer you know it's not like are you doubles players or singles players you know and they say we're tennis players you know yeah. for every every tennis player the singles is more important especially if you're good at it and you still play it you know so so i, I you know if you, i think if you would ask lucy or even you know andrea or you know they would say you know singles it's 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 priority but doubles is something very important to us as well so yeah. so it's hard you know sometimes like like at the end of the year let's say right now when you know there was a very tight race uh, for the last spot in singapore the, probably doubles got more priority, you know, because that was more important, and there was nothing really major important to play for for Lucy in singles. Mm -hmm. But you know, let's say at the start of the year, obviously the singles were more important. So, so yeah, as I said, you know, you have to find a balance, balance. But uh, I would say for every player who plays singles and doubles, the singles is always more important. Yeah, that's generally the sense I get. From yeah. players. And, and as a coach, you know, the, the, the only answer I can give is like when you play very good singles, you usually play very good doubles as well. Yeah. You know, it's, it's, it's uh, doubles help maybe to get confidence, you know, get some matches, you know, to be to, to, to get better at singles. But, but uh, if you get confidence in singles and you, you're playing doubles too, it's, it's, it's very good. It helps. You you mentioned the race to Singapore here. I know obviously uh, you tweeted about it some and there are other. Uh, issues, I guess, this year, especially the race in both singles and doubles, was very close yeah. to get to the top yeah. eight spots. It's still not. We're, we're recording this uh, the weekend before Moscow and Luxembourg on the WTA side, um, and still not decided. I think there's still three spots left on the singles side, and the doubles only just got wrapped up. Yeah. Um, but I guess how tough was that? And I guess if you want to talk about some of the the rules or confusions or frustrations, I guess that came into yeah. this uh, Moscow Luxembourg <laughs> week, especially with Luxembourg not counting. Yeah, I mean that, that that was the most surprising thing for me. You know, I I would never imagine that this would be the case. You know, I get I get the reasons behind it. Uh, obviously, you know the the reasons are that uh, championship starts on Sunday and finals in Luxembourg is on Sunday, so yeah. kind of overlaps. And obviously, uh, WTA wants all the players who participate in in Singapore. They want them to be there early. You know, to do promotion and you know media stuff and be ready to play but yeah it, it kind of got got us by surprise so and especially you know the case was that lucy was actually entered in singles in singapore uh, sorry in luxembourg and uh, uh we kind of planned like if if it's close if the race is close you know girls still would be able to play doubles in in luxembourg and and get some points and maybe you know get the last spot yeah but uh, we found out like way after the entry deadline that uh, the luxembourg doesn't count so and it wasn't so, clear to you because i know I, I read that there was like a line in the in the rule book this year or something that said somewhere that, yeah, that yeah. luxembourg wouldn't count they knew this in advance but i guess yeah, yeah, yeah. You, but, but you just didn't see it when you were signing up 
Exactly, because you know, I, I, you know, last time I checked was like three days ago, and there wasn't a note on a fact sheet. You know, like yeah. we really didn't know. You know, I, I would expect something this important to be communicated to players. You know, let's say by entry deadline or by the time it, you know, the entry deadline kind of comes. Yeah. Fact or and yeah, I mean that was that was uh, that was and. You know, we found found out, and we, you know, Lucy obviously, and because the race was very close, Lucy obviously wanted to withdraw from Luxembourg and play doubles in Moscow because Moscow does count, yeah. because they have finals on Saturday, and and then I was uh, uh, I was surprised that there's actually a rule for that that she cannot do that and etc. etc. It was it was very complicated, and uh, in the end, you know, in the end they they. Um, uh, basically, they Lucy and Andrea they didn't have it in their hands in Linz, you know, because yeah. because uh, even if they w- would win the tournament, uh, they wouldn't be able to to you know to get enough points. But yeah, I mean, I get it. I get the rules. I don't get some aspects of the rules. I know that it's complicated because probably someone who made the rules didn't expect the race be so tight. You yeah. know. Even singles and doubles you know i mean look at what happens what happens with the wild card for moscow you know i i i was joking with somebody i i told i i said it's like texas holdem poker you know with the <laughs> wild cards you know because every single player wants to play and you know there's not enough wild cards then let's say uh, radvanska wins the tournament and qualifies pulls out right away which is logical for her but then you know the tournament kind of uh, waste, wasted a wild card. So I don't know. Yeah. What, you have to reshuffle the seats. Then I don't know if Kerber will, will withdraw because she's very close. I mean, it's 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 complicated. Yeah, no, for you know? sure. And, and it's one of those things, I think it would be easier a little bit for WTA if it was the way it is for ATP, where ATP finishes on a Masters event and, and Bercy. So everybody who has the chance is all in the same big tournament, you know, and they're all playing more head-to-head. Um, yeah. and, and I guess if so, if, if WTA ended with uh, Beijing or with Wuhan, or even if they bumped up, you know, Tokyo or something that was in Asia, it just seems like the traveling back to Europe to try to get points so you can qualify to go back to Asia is is not ideal. Yeah, it's kind of like a mad dash, you know. Everybody yeah. wants. To let's say, let's say, look at you know Timea Baczynski. You know, she she did so well in Beijing, so she she got herself in the contention, but. She entered Luxembourg, so she, you know, she's number nine right now, or maybe very close, and yeah. she, you know, she didn't have any chance to to try to qualify, which which is which is sad for me. You know, I mean, there should be a level playing field, like you know, everybody should have a chance to play, you know, fair, fair, you know, last tournament, fair match, you know, to 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 get there. But yeah, it's hard. I, I guess the solution for me would be, uh, and I think would be very very good even for the players who are already qualified or me for players who qualified at the last moment to have you know week week uh free week be- between last tournament and uh, and the uh, championships yeah you know? so no, i agree for sure I, I i guess atp has ha- they have it like this right or i'm not i'm not really sure but yeah they but usually yeah. do yeah 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 so so player can players have time kind of to travel you know to get there to you know kind of heal the, you know, minor injuries and everything, so... Or I think it would be good, and this would take some more moving around, but I think it would be good if they moved all of the uh, European indoor fall tournaments to right after the U.S. Open, and then had everything in Asia afterwards, something like that. 
yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. I think so. So, I, uh, you know, the, the calendar is packed, you know, yeah. that's, that's the problem. And then, then obviously, you know, a lot of, lot of players want, want to have longer off-season, which, uh, especially the top ones, that's, that's understandable. For some, there's a Fed Cup, you know. Yeah. Then, then we have the elite trophy, the initial high, which is kind of a new thing, and that's that's right after the Singapore, so that makes the season, you know, the even longer for some players. So yeah. it's, it's complicated. Yeah. yeah, I was going to ask about Fed Cup next, with that coming up for the Czech Republic. Uh, teams haven't been named yet, but Lucy, I assume, would be named because she's been named quite a few times mm-hmm. now. Um, is the Czech Republic is doing so well in in tennis in general. They had three top ten players uh, at one point earlier this year with. Yeah. Uh, Petra and, and Lucy Saf- Shafashova and uh, that's good. <laughs> yeah, and uh, and Pliskova. Um, just wondering, I guess, how important you think uh, Fed Cup is to the Czech Republic, maybe more so than than other countries. It seems like because really all the pl- top players do show up with a lot yeah. more regularity than say, uh, you know, other yeah. countries. First, I mean, yeah. I can I can speak for for Fed Cup or for the girls that I you know know a lot of them and I know the atmosphere of the team and I was I was uh, for two years I was Fed Cup coach as well mm-hmm. so I mean it it starts with the captain and uh, you know and the team around him they create very good atmosphere you know it's always fun you know girls you know they they get along very well. Obviously, you know, a lot of success or all the success is, uh, you know, we have Petra. She plays amazing in Fed Cup. You know, she's, mm-hmm. she's you know, with, with her, we always have chance to win. And, and also Lucy now and Carolina and all the other players, you know, they, they kind of go up in the rankings and, and, and they, they, I mean, I, I, I don't actually know how it's possible that we always, you know, get to the finals. It's like fourth final in five years. Yeah. You know? And it's, it's amazing. Yeah, it's amazing. And uh, I think uh, every player wants to be there, not only because, because you know, you, know, you want to play Fed Cup final and be, have a chance to be, you know, on the, on the huge, uh, you know, cup, but also because the, the atmosphere in the team is, is always, always great. And, you know, girls are... Even even when it's a lot of pressure, especially playing finals at home, it's always fun and everybody loves to be there. So so yeah, I mean, uh, the captain has a he has a very very tough job, you know, to to choose because you know there's so many people to choose, so many players to choose from, and yeah. and so many possibilities. Yeah, that's yeah. that's a question I'm sure you get a lot, and I know that I've written stories about this, and a lot other writers have too. Is just why why do you think the Czech Republic is so good right now? At women's tennis, especially, I mean, they just have so many players in the top fifty right yeah. now, uh, what, yeah, what, I mean, and, and close to top fifty because uh, Lucy's obviously fifty-five. But wh- I mean, why is there is there a reason? Is it just something in the water, or what do you, what do you think it is <laughs> with Czech tennis I, right now? I guess there's something in the water. No, no, um, I I don't know. You know, we have a, we always had a very good tradition. You know, with tennis, in tennis, uh, we have a lot of we have very good system. Of tournaments for for kids and, and juniors, uh, we have a lot of clubs that are doing uh, good work uh, with with the, with the younger players. Uh, uh, I think also uh, the fact is that tennis is probably number one sport for girls in Czech Republic. So mm-hmm. so we don't lose lose any talent to other sports. Mm. So you know uh, all the talented girls you know. 
probably try to play tennis first or, or second. So, so, so it's not like with the boys, you know, because we have soccer, we have ice hockey, you know, so, so yeah. the, ta- the talent kind of dissolves. And yeah, and, and there were always, always uh, role models to look up to, you know, in history. So, and now, you know, with the Fed Cup, you know, we have so many, so many kids coming to play tennis uh, because they see, you know, teams like Davis Cup team or, or Fed Cup team doing well on TV. And I would say like, like Czech people or in Czech Republic, we always, we always like national teams to do well. Mm. We're not very uh, individually orientated fans you know okay. we always we always get behind the teams the national teams so yeah so it brings a lot of lot of lot of kids uh, to tennis schools and to, to clubs so i guess yeah i yeah. guess that's the reason that's, you know those are, those are good answers it. for sure yeah yeah um uh, you there was just i know this year only there was a first wta tournament brought back to prague in the spring and there hadn't been a tour event atp or wta there for a long time I guess, uh, why do you think, is there an easy explanation for why there's sort of a, a disconnect there when they can have so many top players, men and women, and so much success in Davis and Fed Cup and not too many pro yeah. tournaments? Is, it, is, that, is that just the lack of interest in the individual side of the sport, you think, or money, or is it something else, or, or what? I have, you know, I have two answers and a little correction. I, we had a WT tournament in Prague, like... A few years before, right? A few years before, right, right. and I know, I know it because I was the tournament director yeah. uh, as well. <laughs> no, but uh, with the ATP, I think it's tough. It's tough. It's it's a huge amount of money just to get the spot in the week, you know, in the calendar, yeah. the week in the calendar. Uh, I think we have some burden from the past. We used to have some ATP. We used to have ATP tournament a while, while ago in Prague. And I think uh, it didn't end well. You know, there were some money disputes, and I'm not really sure. I, you know, I don't want to. I don't want to. You know, make up some things. But that, that's what I heard. So there's a some money pending to pay ATP before you, you you can even do the tournament in Prague. Right. And so so it's you know business wise it's very hard. So so I don't think there's any any real. Uh, push or people who would say you know let's let's do ATP tournament in Prague you know and with WTA I think I think that was that was very sad having so many good players and not having uh, not having a WTA tournament so I'm really happy you know uh, the management company that's behind Petra and and, and Lucy you know kind of say okay you know we we got to do tournament and I think the the first year was was a huge success you know the the we uh, you know, I was there whole week because Lucy played the final, so I, I could, you know, watch people coming from qualifying, and then on a semifinal and final day, they just have to close the, you know, to close the gates because there was no more, no more room. So people were, people were, you know, disappointed, you know, waiting at the street if somebody leaves so they can they can get in. So so that was a that was a huge success. Oh great! So, and and we have so many we had so many good you know Czech players doing well. So, so that even made made it even better. So, yeah, yeah. I mean, I'm I'm really happy that we have WTA tournament in Prague. So, so I just, yeah, yeah, I just I want to ask a little bit more about being a coach, just because you're a first coach. Just what sort of goes into uh, every all of your planning, like in terms of you know, aside from scheduling big decisions, just like the day to day at a tournament, working with Lucy. How much of what what goes into constructing a a week like just walk me through what your average average tournament is like like i guess you can say lens if you want to look back at lens it's the most recent one what that was like uh setting up practices you know yeah knowing yeah. what knowing what to work on with her how much of it's physical how much is mental stuff like that 
Yeah, it kind of, you know, if you, if you talk about lens, it's kind of easy <laughs> because first of all, you, you, from a coach, you be, become, you know, driver. So, so because we drove there, so, yeah. so yeah, I mean, uh, if you, you come to the tournament, especially indoor tournaments, it's not very, uh, practice heavy because that there's not many courts. Mm. So you kind of, you kind of, uh, want to, uh, set up a practice even before you arrive. So you usually text somebody who's already there, maybe for qualifying to, to try to, you know, sign a practice for you and then kind of, uh, so you set when you when you come there, and you don't have to practice at eight at night or the, or eight in the morning, and and all, also you know Linz being one of the last tournaments, you know every lot of players are usually kind of tired, so so you don't practice as much as you would do, let's say in Indian Wells or or you know some sometime early in the season. Yeah. But but yeah, I mean as a coach. Uh, depends sometimes you want to work with the player on a certain thing so you don't you don't look for hitting or maybe sparring partners to play some points which you usually do during the season a lot because you know because you can you can practice practice but the the matches or the practice matches are what you need to do because that's the thing that you're going to do at the tournament so you speak to other coaches you you try to set up a practice with their players or to speak to other players we're we're lucky that we have so many Czech players around. So so you know, and and Lucy likes to practice with Czech players. She's got a lot of friends over there uh, around Czech players. So so it's easier to set up practice for us. But on some tournaments, you know, you 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 have to speak with uh, with other coaches uh, because you know there might not be Czech players around. Yeah, but, I guess yeah, how yeah. how in general do you find who's going to be? The best practice partner for for your player is it is it just about who she's friends with and gets along with or is it you know you know who she's playing in the first rounds and you want a player who's similar to that or is it uh yeah i think just, I th- or just random sometimes yeah who has the same schedule some it, it's a mix of that you know yeah. uh let's say uh you as a coach you know if you if you coach a player for a longer time you know that there are some players that you know she doesn't want to practice with okay Either they don't get along very well, you know. Either the, the you know, it's a, it's a, it's a type of game that it's you know the player doesn't like and it's not necessary. You know, sometimes right. you you look for players like this because maybe you know when the player is playing the let's say lefty or somebody who plays a lot of slices, like uh, so so you wanna you know have some you know some of that in the in the practice. Right. But but usually usually uh, you want. You want to, especially at the tournament before the match, you want to have a good atmosphere on the court. You know, you don't have somebody who's freaking out or is very nervous before the match. So it kind of yeah. because it kind of translates to to your players. So so it's a mix of that. Yeah, and sometimes it's random. Sometimes you you let's say at the U.S. Open, let's say you very often you're lucky to get a court. You just put your name there, or you or you you come to sign a practice and you you see oh who's looking. You know, you know what player is looking. So. To, to get a court and, uh, at the time you like so sometimes you just sign up with somebody who's looking for for a for a player to practice with so yeah. so it's mix of that but but uh, it's usually it's usually you choose as a coach or even player chooses you know sometimes sometimes they meet in the locker room and they say oh oh I spoke with this player and we said you know we can have a practice tomorrow or day after tomorrow so you sign practice like like that so when, yeah. When so. when you're sh- when you're sharing a practice court with another player, mm-hmm. how hard is it for you as a coach to make sure, or how important is it for you to make sure that 
Lucy gets to work on the things she needs to work on and how much is it, you know, that you're able to focus on what she needs as compared to what the yeah, other player say, wants. Let, yeah, I mean, if, if, you, if, you, if you share a court with, with somebody, like if, let's say if Lucy plays, has a practice with, diff, you know, with other player, you usually play points. You know, mm-hmm. it's very, very seldom you, you do some sort of practice. You know, uh, you, you would do it with, uh, with, let's say, with some Czech players who have coaches, with, you know, coach with, that I can speak to and say, look, you know, let's not let's not do points. Let's do something. Is it OK for you or do you want to do something special for you? So you kind of you, you kind of uh, agree what you do or you kind of do a compromise. But but I, I would say 95 percent you, you, you play points because that's what you want to do at the tournaments. You mm-hmm. know, you you have you. you, you you need to serve and return. So, so, so it's it's very, very not very often that you actually do you know backhand cross court or or volleys right. or something like that. Yeah. So, so that's kind of uh, that's kind of very rare that you would do something like this. And yeah, go ahead. Oh, go ahead. No, I was just going to say a different topic. How 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 do you go into the choice of whether to have practice with another female player or with a a male practice partner? So I know that's a, a, comp, a choice that some of the women's tour, obviously the top men pretty much only practice with each other, but yeah. the women's tour, there are some players who almost never practice with other women, it seems like, and just have their male hitting partners, whether that's Serena, for example, or uh, yeah, other uh, some other top players have their hitting partner or a few yeah, partners yeah. who's all they ever hit with. So how do you make that yeah. choice? <laughs> uh, I, I, you know, I guess, I guess the choice... Uh, you know, for some top players, they have actually hitting partners, you know, as a part of their teams. Right. So it's somebody you know, you know, and these hitting partners become more more than that, you know, just part of the team. So then I get it, you know, then I get it. Uh, you don't have to, you the as a coach, uh, you can concentrate on a player and hitting partner playing exactly what you want or what you want to work on you know which is which is very hard to do with with some other players as i just said so so i get this like you know i, I guess i guess uh, for a lot of players they you know especially the top players are used to that so uh, and there are obviously you know hitting partners at the tournament ready at you know players request which uh, which I understand that you know sometimes you want to do something different. I I I think with Lucy we never used it because okay. you know when I need it I think I can play. You know I play with her. You know there are some coaches who who don't like to play or who just want to have uh, you know clear head and just be on the side with the player and 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 talk to her and so do somebody else the hitting. Uh, I can I can get that some players need to pra- need a hitting partner maybe like Camila Georgie you know because yeah. she, <laughs> because if, if 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 she join you know if she shares the practice with somebody else then probably it wouldn't be very good for neither of them because right. you know. so not yeah, a lot of rallies I, in a Georgie yeah, practice not a lot of rallies yeah no yeah and uh, yeah I, I you know obviously I for me it's it's I. It's weird that even the top players they never, or very very rarely play like practice points with other girls or yeah. with other players. Uh, you know, it probably works for them because they all do very well. You know, the top players. But uh, yeah, I mean, there's there's I don't think there's many actually many players many top women players who 
who regularly play points with other, with other players. You know, I know Petra does all the time. You know, uh, Aga does, but but you know, I never seen Maria or Serena or even Venus. And, you know, I mean, yeah, it's it's it's. I guess I guess it's just the the way they they used to it. You know, and that's yeah. their their routine. You know, they you know because sometimes sometimes it it. You know, when you play other player, it's it's a mental as well. So so, yeah, playing a hidden partner is always mentally easier because it's not like competing, you know, with 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 some of your some of your basically opponents. So yeah, uh, it's uh, it's interesting. It's interesting. One last coaching question, I guess, for you. Okay. Co- working with working with Lucy, who's a veteran now. She's thirty, um, thirty years old, and so she you would think probably technically it's pretty much set in her career. You're not going to make any big changes to what she's mm-hmm. doing. Um, how much of your work do you think really is about strategy and, and technique on court? And how much is just about managing her mental game and her, her emotions during matches? I mean, what's the more important part of, of your work with her at this point in her career? Yeah, I mean, I mean, we always with Lucy, we always, or, she, you know, I say we like because she does, you know, mainly we like to work on technical things because I think you can always get better. You know, you have you you have weapons, you have weaknesses and, you know, you kind of balance what you you want to make your weapons more deadly or you want to, you know, get better at your weaknesses. So I think I think it's I would say it's 50 50, you know, obviously at the the tournaments, you know, before the match, you don't really, you know, try to solve the problem with with a serve or with a forehand or whatever so you you more uh, want to get the player in a good state of mind and 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 uh, be prepared for the match you know what can what can happen what what the player sh- has to do to you know be able to to find a way to win the match so it's 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 a combination you know uh uh, and I think if you would ask any any coach or any player, even you know, it's if it's a weather, veteran or you know somebody who's young, you know, you always want to get better, uh, not only technically and, and tennis wise, but physically, you know, mentally. You, yeah, I mean, it's 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 a as I, as I, you know as I said many times in, in this in this talk, you know, it's it's a combination of of everything, you know, basically. So so. Uh, I wouldn't say that we don't we don't do any work on the on the technical stuff, so yeah. tennis wise. But yeah, but it's, it's a combination, and it also depends if you have time. You know, if let's say if you lose early and you're waiting for another tournament, then you can you can do you know working on some stuff. But if if it's you know match every day, you basically uh, want to keep keep the keep the rhythm and and, and uh, keep the player happy. You know, and yeah. concentrate. Yeah. In terms, you mentioned losing and keeping the player happy there. So I'm just wondering, especially I guess even more with Lucy because she plays singles and doubles. How do you, as a coach, help her handle losing? Because that's one of the the hard things about tennis is that you have to lose pretty much every week. Either you win yeah. the tournament or yeah. you lose. Bunch um, of losers, right? Exactly, a whole, lot of, a whole lot of losers <laughs> for sure. So how do you? So how do you, how do you and how does she, I guess, handle handle losses and how does that? Mm. How are, or I assume a lot of losses can be different too. Yeah, yeah, losses are different, you know. But but uh, that's one one good one one very good thing about playing doubles is like oh, you come to the tournament and you have two basically two competitions to be in. So if you lose in one, you can still do well in the in the other, and uh, it kind of uh, makes the practice easier because when you lose, you know, right after the loss, you know, the practice 
players want to practice, but it's hard because the match is still in your head. But but if you if you if you're able to play another match right away, like or the next day, it's 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 easier. I guess you know. The, the the best best cure for bad losses to go out there and and work work on 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 your game and and find out what why the player wasn't able to to produce you know at, uh, you know during the match so so I always say like you 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 get over the losses on the court that that's that's the easy that's that's very easy you know sometimes it doesn't work. But most of the time, it's 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 the case. Especially, especially with tennis, it's 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 beautiful that you have new chance every week. Basically, yeah. it's not not like some sports who are brutal. You know, you you practice for for world championships or maybe Olympics once in you know once in four years and or once in one year. So so tennis is and tennis is good. Yeah. Tennis is- <laughs> how, how how about how about for you? I mean, like you only have one player that you're coaching now on tour. So I yeah. mean, how how much does your mood or your level of, I guess, job satisfaction depend on on her results? And is it is it ever tough for you as a coach and having to travel together and everything? You know, if she does ever have a losing streak of some sort or things aren't going the way you want, I mean, how tough can that be to have a, a, a profession where success and failure is so sort of seemingly, you know, really stark black and white defined by winning and losing? Yeah, I mean, sometimes right after the match, right after the you know bad match or bad loss or tough loss, you just want to go and smash the water bottle or the racket <laughs> or something like that. But uh, yeah, I mean, I mean, I always say like it's not very, it's not healthy when everything is is great when you win and every, everything is bad when you lose. You know, you you want to find find a balance. You know, you wanna you always look. For the things the player did well, even though she lost, you know, and then even you know when the player wins, you wanna you know you wanna kind of uh, do the same thing, like find the you know find the the, the spots where she did well or she or she, or she didn't do well. So uh, to to keep you sane, basically, <laughs> you have to you have to find a balance in, in this. Yeah, but but some losses are bad, and you know, but on the other hand, some wins are. They make up for those bad days, you know. So, yeah. so you have to, uh, you know, you have to enjoy the wins and the good days, so you have enough uh, positive energy to be able to get over, <laughs> to get over some bad losses or some some bad lucks and, and stuff. Yeah, but sure. But, but yeah, it's it's a it's a balance, you know. Yeah. Unless unless you Novak Djokovic this year, you know, you, yeah. you, you will lose, you know, you know, you you will lose once a week. <laughs> so. Yeah, pretty much. Oh, even even him, everyone, and even Serena. I mean, everybody. Yeah. We'll talk. We'll look at their year. Say, "Wow, it was so great!" But then just talk about the one Grand Slam match they lost. Yeah, you know yeah. how. Yeah, could I mean, it's a French Open final. How could you lose to Vinci? That kind of question. Yeah. And I guess for them, it's even harder because they, they're not used to losing. You know, so yeah. so it's a, it's a new kind of a new a new experience. <laughs> Did um, I guess I guess for you and and Lucy traveling together, how and probably spend some of the off season together. Like, how important is it for you two just to stay on on good terms? Uh, you know, as in your just relationship together making sure that every, everything is okay because you yeah, all the time so it has to be important to keep that communication yeah, it's, it's everything su- positive. it's super important you know? yeah yeah it's super important uh, i guess i guess it's you it's so important for coach and player to to get along well as as, as people mm-hmm. too you know I, I guess you you will find some exceptions like 
you know when something works and and, and that that's it like they don't get along very well but it somehow clicks on the court so it so it's fine but you've seen that usually, work over a long period of time for people uh yeah that that that's hard actually yeah, yeah i i don't i don't think it can it can work uh, for a longer period of time yeah. right so so but then you you know i always i always like players and coaches who work together for a long time for me it's uh it's uh i think it's important uh you know there are very you know very good coaches who are able to stay with the player or players who are able to stay with the coach for a shorter period of time and they still have good results and maybe they need to change to to keep them motivated and right. you know uh, dr- to keep the drive but yeah you definitely you de- definitely have, especially with uh you know you spend a lot of times traveling you you spend a lot of times practicing and uh, yeah i mean you you need to you know you need to click as people you know okay. because otherwise it would be impossible and i'm i'm i i you know i'm very 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 happy or very lucky not happy very lucky uh, to be able to work with lucy because she's she's just a wonderful person to be around you know i mean uh, sometimes i when i see some players and even I said, okay, I'm 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 in pretty good shape. <laughs> <laughs> How long have you two worked together now? Uh, that's a good question. I think it's it's about five years we traveled together. But uh, because I worked uh, at the at the National Tennis Center in Prague, and uh, I had you know more players w- working with me and working in in the center. Lucy was there since she was 15, so we knew each other even before that, and we worked before that. But I had m- some other players that I worked with. But uh, let's say one on one, it's it's almost five years, I would say. Yeah, yeah. that's pretty impressive. Yeah. Well, congratulations on making that far and <laughs> all the success you two have had together. It's thank you, thank you. Pretty cool. Uh, yeah. The other thing I want to talk to you about, not about being a coach, is about Resultina, which just during this interview or just before it, I think, told me that Taylor Fritz won a match because okay. I can it won a challenger title. Uh, so pretty impressive, right? Yeah, you know, that was it. And, it all, and the app also told me that it was a 16th straight win, which is also impressive. Uh, so I guess yeah. So tell people about Resultina because I think it's uh, an app that I, if I see somebody has it, then I know that they are absolutely serious about their tennis and they know what they're doing. <laughs> so talk about this uh, this app and how you created it, and I guess also just how how a coach decides to come up with a with an app because I don't think there are many people who have both those those things in their in their cap with those feathers i guess okay yeah i mean i mean uh, if if there are uh, you know people who 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 you know are tennis fans or or work in tennis think resultina was it, it is uh it's a little app for smartphones yeah. that kind of the main main goal is to uh, allow you know to allow people follow tennis players they care you know, like uh, not even not even uh, professional tennis, but also juniors. So it goes mm-hmm. very deep, and it kind of helps you track the, you know, how the players do. You know, if uh, the uh, if they win a match or lose a match, you get the notification with the scores. Uh, if they are in the draw somewhere on a junior tournament, uh, you get the notification that the draw is out, and yeah. you see the. You see the opponents, you know. You see the head-to-heads. You see the activity of the player. You know how, how they did. Uh, it, it it shows a bit of 
you know, kind of match statistical highlights for some matches, which which I personally like. Uh, so yeah, we, we came up with the idea because, uh, as I said, I was working uh, in a national tennis center in Prague, you know, as a coach, and there were so many players playing, all, you know, basically all around the world or Europe, and uh, and it was so hard to find where they are, how they did. And, you know, yeah. you have to you have to browse through ITF website, yeah. especially uh, which, the women's ITFs. Can yeah, be yeah, yeah. Which is not very user friendly. Uh, so, so with with one friend of mine, uh, we said, okay, there's got to be a better way to do this, and we kind of started playing with the idea. And uh, you know, when we had a prototype working, we 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 knew, you know, this is pretty useful for for people like us. You know, we we were not sure if there's more people like us who would uh, enjoy, you know, app like this. But uh, yeah, we we were able to to make it work and. Uh, you know, when you see people using it, we we said, okay, you know, we have to you have to give more 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 work, and uh, yeah, I think it's a it's a it's it's always always good when you use it and you feel like it helps you, even if you you are the creator of the app. So so uh, it's fun, it's fun, and you know, I how I end up doing this, I was uh, you know when I went to school, you know, I the programming and and math was my was my uh, uh, how you say it? Your specialty, uh, yeah, specialty in in the school. So I was I, I always been close to computers and programming and everything. So I, so I I said you know let let's do it you know and it started as a fun project but it, it ended up as a serious app yeah so so yeah no, I just highly recommend it to anybody who who's listening anybody who cares enough about tennis to listen <laughs> to this interview and to NCR in general I think would like it just because especially for players who are not always playing tour events. So like somebody like Taylor Fritz, who is just yeah. in a, yeah. a 50K challenger, or someone even like uh, uh, Taylor Townsend, who's only been playing really like women's ITFs this year. Mm-hmm. I'm just looking through my list of players who I have here. Or, <laughs> or you know, I was tracking like the Nicole Vidasova or Vidasova yes. comeback. And uh, yeah, just so when I would see, oh, she's in the qualifying draw of this tournament. Okay, when it was first getting started. Uh, and it can let you just keep tabs on them, which can be pretty yeah. hard to do in tennis because there's so much going on every single week that this this thing saves you a in lot of time. Different sure. time zones, you know, different places. Yeah. yeah. How hard how so, hard was it for you, I guess, to get it all going? Because I mean, I do racket rally, the fantasy game too. So we have mm-hmm. some. I don't do most of the programming part of it. That's all done by Jeff Sackman, but. Mm-hmm. Uh, the getting results, which I highly data. recommend too. Oh, oh yeah. thank you, thank you. Uh, but getting results and data is not easy in tennis. I mean, especially for the ones that aren't uh, in the live scoring system, which is the ATP, WTA, and the ATP challengers. Uh, yeah, yeah, getting yeah, it, getting those results. I think you originally you guys had there's people who would track the results and report them for you, or it was more manual like that, or how did how did it work for you? And it, I guess also in general, what do you think of the sort of state of of data? in the game right now too that's a very good question you know i yeah i mean uh, i mean tennis is kind of uh, i wouldn't say broken but divided you know because yeah. there's itf there's wta there's atp you know different tournaments are under different domain uh, like you know you have itf women's uh, women's tour then you have itf men's futures then you have atp challengers and stuff and so it's kind of you know, uh, it's hard to find even a website where where you can get all the results on one place. You know, like yeah. like uh, like in 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 a in a pleasant format. You know, you and you can search through. So so 
this was basically the goal, you know, let's put all the professional tennis plus junior plus under 18 juniors on one place. So you can, you can, uh, you, you're going to follow players, you know, from let's say Serena to Tyler Townsend to some U S junior who's yeah. just, you know, coming up through junior rankings. So, yeah. And I think, I don't know. I don't know if we, if we, uh, you know, ever be, uh, witnessing those three major tennis bodies uh, you know working together uh, because they they all have different agendas like fed cups you know and, and davis cup for the itf and then you have world tour finals for yeah. for atp and so i think resultina is very very nice bridge and that's actually what we wanted to do you know we want and we wanted to make it very easy you just you know say this is my favorite player and then you get informed about you know everything the player does so so yeah and you know to, to come back to your original question i think the data in tennis uh for me tennis as a huge professional sport is is heavily heavily under stat you know if yeah. i can say that you know this you know compared to every american professional sport like hockey basketball baseball you know american football it's it just you know it's so few stats you know like like a uh, hard stats you get from tennis yeah it's it's basically hard to believe you know and even uh, even the ones they do keep the very few you know like break point conversion and first serve points one yeah. it's very yeah. hard to find you know any archive of that data exactly anywhere. and you know to, to to sort it and browse through it and and and, and yeah yeah I, I completely agree you know i would that would that help you as a coach to have more of that data out there do you think it would be very it would be very interesting you know, yeah. uh, the, I think the problem with tennis is that, uh, you know, if you do the stat stats for the match or for, for, it's very, very subjective. Yeah. You know, it depends who does it. I, you know, I, I, I can perfectly understand that doing stats for every professional tennis match would be very, very hard because you would have to kind of teach and school people who keep the stats, you know, to be, to be on the same page. Yeah. And, you know, sometimes, <clears throat> sometimes even, even the you know big matches on a big occasions you have people who do extended stats and sometimes you see it and you're like oh god you know who did these stats because you know you have so many unforced errors compared to winners let's yeah. say and and the match you know if you watch the match it, it looks completely different so yeah it's 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 very it's very very complicated but i i i hope i hope maybe maybe with wta signing this uh, streaming deal uh yeah for for you know for I think it's 2000 starting in 2016. So you will actually have an archive or of all the all the main draw matches. So you would be able to to kind of go through and do your own stats, you know, or maybe your own scoutings as a coach. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Ha, it, ha, has the has the stuff the WTA deal with SAP? They keep they've been promoting. Has that changed anything? Has that helped you at all as a coach so far? I you know because it's not very. Uh, how you say it? Uh, it's 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 it, it's not on every tournament, you yeah. know. It's not on every court. It's uh, it's 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 an interesting interesting uh, idea and an interesting thing. You know, I saw I saw the the apps for you know the tablets with with the app that you can look at during the match. I don't I don't I personally wouldn't use it, but maybe you know. But I'm, I'm more interested about the data after the match because during the match, you know, you as a coach, you be usually want to watch the match not not the tablet you know yeah. so but but yeah i mean it's it's a it's a step forward you know i'm not sure if it's in right direction 
you know, 100%, but definitely it's, it's, the, it's a step forward in the right, right direction. But as, you know, as I said, it's, it's you know, let's say Hawkeye can produce the wonderful data for yeah. But it's only center courts, you know. If if you would have all the all the main draw matches doing the data with the Hawkeye, that would be amazing. You do know, you ever get Do you ever get access to that Hawkeye data when Lucy has been on a court? Yeah, 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 yeah. yeah. If, if if you play on a Hawkeye court and uh, the tournament kind of cooperates with WTA, uh, players have their own. They call it like performance center, in where you can sign in and see the reports from Hawkeye, like huh. you know, how how high over the net you play, or where you hit all the returns, or where you placed your serves. And that, that's 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 pretty good. That's actually that's the hard data that I like as a coach, right? Because it's you know it's uh, it's uh, not subjective. That's the fact, not yeah. subjective. But I, as I said, you know, with some tournaments, uh, you get it. But only center court, maybe maybe you know two courts. Where if they have a hockey on two courts, but I would I would love if if this was get more more uh, more courts into and more tournaments participating in this. Yeah, that's that's very good actually. Yeah. So, so every tournament that has hockey has that available. I'm not I'm not really sure. I'm okay. not really sure. Uh, that's a that's a that's a question for WTA. I would say, but I I heard like let's say Indian Wells. Uh, they didn't want to provide this data to 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 WTA. Mm-hmm. I don't know, maybe because they pay for the Hawkeye or or yeah. they want to keep the data. I'm not sure. Especially especially over there when you have all the courts with the Hawkeye, that would be very interesting for us coaches of play, not players who don't play on the center court every single time. Uh, yeah, but 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 hopefully it it will get more you know more and more. So you know the hard data from Hawkeye are are perfect and, and that's very interesting. Cool. Well, thank you very much, uh, Yoshi. This is awesome. And anything else you want to add before we before we let you go? Anything else people should know about uh, what it takes to be a coach or <laughs> takes to make a tennis app and everything like yeah, that? Yeah, yeah, it's a lot of work, both, I guess. Yeah, yeah. but but uh, but yeah, um, you know, thanks thanks for having me. It was a, it's fun. It's fun, and everybody try Resultina. You know, yeah, you definitely. Will, you will love it. Definitely. Well, very cool. Thank you very much, Yoshi. Do you have a do you have a you have a song you want is your outro song i know you've heard the show probably so you've heard people pick songs yeah you know what you have anything you want you know i'm, I'm a huge depeche mode fan so okay. anything from depeche mode yeah okay you we can... can do that <laughs> that'll work okay right, thanks okay. i appreciate it Thank you very much, Yershi, and thank you all for listening to episode 127 of No Challenges Remaining. If you want to follow along with us when you're not listening, you can do so by liking us on Facebook, facebook.com slash ncrpodcast. Uh, you can find new episodes there, and hopefully we'll have some Facebook-only content again soon. You can also follow us on Twitter, at ncr underscore tennis, and you can also subscribe to our show on any number of podcasting apps and platforms including itunes where we'd love for you to leave us reviews if you have questions comments anything for us to hear read uh, send it to us on email no challenges remaining at gmail.com courtney do you have any thoughts you want to share with us and our listeners before we uh sign this thing off in your rant rave sure um so i've been spending a lot of time on planes um, and had like a weird bout of insomnia while I was in Tokyo. So I've been listening to a lot of, I noticed, I noticed that by the way, cause you were up at like crazy times. I know, I know it was weird. Um, but yeah, so I was, uh, up a lot. So I was listening to a lot of podcasts and in the course of it, I kind of like switched over podcasts, um, 
apps, I decided to stop using one and try and use another one. So in the course of that, like I was kind of resubscribing to everything. I imported all my podcasts and uh, also started going through and trying to find new podcasts, you know, just kind of refresh things a little bit because I have my go-tos and uh, uh, I kind of wanted something new because I had been listening to my go-tos and I didn't have any more new episodes. Like I'm completely caught up on almost every one of my podcasts. And I stumbled on um, this kind of, at least to me, new set of podcasts um, by this uh, by Pacific Northwest Stories, um, which is, I guess, a podcast like network. Um, but basically, it's like, you know, like sometimes like you want like you think about a thing and you want that thing to exist. And then all of a sudden, like it exists and you're like, oh, yay. <laughs> so back, back when we were talking about podcasts and like um, what I would like to see from the podcast medium is like I've always kind of wanted podcasts to be the way that radio was back in like, you know, the 30s and 40s and stuff like, you know, episodic. Uh, you tuned in, you were around the radio and you listened to, to these stories, right? And typically they were detective stories or mysteries or right. something like that back then. And I think Serial's explosion, you know, last year was really the first time within the podcast, the modern podcast industry that like um, something like that happened, right? Every morning, every week when that episode came out, it was like, oh, what happened? Oh, did you catch this? And it was great. Anyway, so Pacific Northwest Stories is not Serial. It's not – most podcasts are either conversational or narrative. So either they're podcasts like we do on NCR where you have a bunch of people on the line and we just discuss things or they're narrative form like, you know, reporting that like This American Life or 99% Invisible, that sort of stuff. Now with Pacific Northwest Stories, here's this – at least, again, new to me. Maybe they, they've been around for a while. But this new series of podcasts that basically have modernized this idea of like episodic – um, uh, modern storytelling over the course of, you know, seven episodes, 12 episodes or whatever. And they've been really good. I've kind of delved into them. The, um, the two that I've been listening to, um, one is called Tanis, T-A-N-I-S. Okay. And the other one is called Limetown. And both of them kind of revolve, and I think all of the Pacific Northwest stories revolve around this idea of like this mystery that an investigative reporter has stumbled upon and has made it their mission to kind of deconstruct serial esque in that description. Right. Mm -hmm. But, um, but you know, it's all acted out, right. The interviews are, are acted out the uh, incidents, the tapes, things like that's, that. All so that's what I really think of when you mentioned old radio, I think of like radio actors, which is exactly. a totally gone profession. Totally gone. People profession. who used to be like doing dramatic voice acting and then, you know, I guess it's sort of what, singing in the rain esque, whatever. If these people could or couldn't make transition yeah. once they started sh putting cameras on them, exactly. They're totally right. And you know, you have. I mean, you've heard me talk about this other podcast called The Truth, um, and also Welcome to Night Vale, which are two podcasts that I've listened to, you know, for the last couple of years, where they are, you know, voice performance, but they're not kind of continuous episodic arcs you know, over the course of a season, it's like a single thing or like the thrilling adventure hour, which I also love a lot too. Mm -hmm. Um, but they're single little 20 minute episodes. This is like serial. It's basically a fictionalized serial, uh, okay. where they'll investigate a murder or like in Limetown, it's the investigation of like this city where 327 people died mysteriously. No one understands how or why. And so this reporter like tr seeks to find out what the story is and it, it, 
you know, it goes into a bunch of different places. So, but anyways, they're worth checking out. Check out Tannis, Limetown. There's another one called the Black Tapes Podcast, which I've downloaded, but I haven't listened to yet. All from Pacific Northwest Stories. I think it's really great. I think they're rough around the edges. Um, but I think that, like, this is, like, the third um, kind of uh, vein of podcast that's going to develop over the course of the next, like, two years. Like, this is, these, this is going to be, yeah, it's going to be really great. And I think there's a lot of opportunity there. And they've been very entertaining. And they've been keeping me uh, super happy during my trip. There you go. Thank you very much for that. Uh, mine is smaller than that or less less substantive. I don't know if it's a rant or a rave, but I am moving uh, to a different place in, within D.C. Uh, for the first time, moving more into sort of a built-up neighborhood, or at least probably more walking distance of different things. And I'm going to be across the street from a Starbucks, which I'm really, really excited about and will think this will change my life forever. I'm not really sure why, even though Starbucks is not you know, a new phenomenon or anything that was that you know exotic or withheld from me before, but being across the street from it, and you know, made to order coffee and stuff. It's exciting. Um, and so my my sort of seasonal rant here is I'm don't really understand all this backlash that's developed over the past couple of years towards pumpkin spice lattes. <laughs> I feel like there is a huge community or not a huge community, but this reactionary movement of like anytime something's popular, people have to find reasons to hate on it. And the pumpkin spice latte to me is the most ridiculous version of this. I I don't get Courtney, do you have a strong opinion on pumpkin spice lattes one way or another? No, but that's because I don't, as you know, order any of those types of coffee drinks. Right, right. But do you do you find ways to cast aspersions on those who do? No, I mean I think that it's an unnecessary amount of like sugar and fat to ingest, but like, you know, hey, you do you. Um no, everyone, it's, everyone it's has not their, my flavor profile. Everyone, everyone has their chosen medium for doing that. Yeah. Yeah, That's, exactly. well, everyone has their advice when it comes to I that. have McDonald's. Some people yeah. have uh, – although I was going to text you the other day or actually a couple of hours ago being like I, this entire trip I haven't gone to McDonald's once. Really? Yeah. It's pretty amazing, right? In China too. That's impressive. I know. I, did, I haven't. Did you, ever, did you ever have access to one? Yeah. Really? I just never went. I actually walked into one in Wuhan and then I walked out. <laughs> <laughs> Mainly because I was like, I don't – I don't know. Something about this feels wrong. <laughs> I just like left. Anyway, this is a very small topic, but I don't know. If people have comments on this, I'm just baffled by this backlash to it. Um, and people, I've saw, I read like articles where people saying it was racist or something, which I completely think what? is ridiculous. Yeah, but, yeah <laughs> thank you for having that reaction. Um, people said that like because, and this is obviously only one thing I saw, but it was on my Facebook feed posted by somebody normally more sane, said it like trying to make them like spice exotic or you know foreign or something was like exploiting the third world where spices come from or something which no but anyhow what? not very co not, i know i know so there, i've had all this pumpkin spice defensiveness lately i think they're tasty there are other good things that start. i don't get them like every day or but I'll have, you know, i'm not gonna defend the thing but like that's just that's just the stupidest argument i've ever heard yeah huh. well, people people like to find things to get outraged about in this day and age. Well, and yes, that's definitely true. And it's a stupid, and I totally agree with you in terms of outrage culture. This is the stupidest thing to be outraged about. Yeah. I'll try to find that article. I'll try to post it on this episode. If I can find it, if it wasn't hopefully deleted and shamed by whoever posted it. Um, and in the meantime, you guys keep drinking whatever you want and feel proud about it. Within you. Reason. Yeah. Love yourself. Don't, don't feel don't be ashamed. Don't, yeah. No one knows what's in that cup anyway. So, so do whatever true. you want. Do whatever exactly. you want. 
unless you're Ben and you order those coffee frappuccinos, in which case we all know what's in there. Right, the clear cups you know. Although even those, they're like brown, and you don't really entirely know what's going on. People might think, I don't get any flavor in those. I just get straight coffee flavor. Yeah, Um, yeah. But if you get like coffee frap is good. Yeah, it's totally fine. Um, Meantime, we'll see you guys next time. Bye, guys. Bye.